You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Friends, it's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banker, powered by Windy City Gridiron, SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you. And looking forward to this podcast because we're going to take a deep dive at Justin Fields and kind of really take a look at his rookie season and what's next for the future of the Chicago Bears franchise. We have JT O'Sullivan on the QB School on YouTube. And at JT underscore O'Sullivan on Twitter uh, does some really good quarterback work and, and quarterback analysis. He's a, he's a good follow and a good uh, subscribe on YouTube if, if you haven't done so yet. So definitely check that out. We're going to get into Justin Fields uh, with him, what he saw in terms of progression throughout the year, what he saw in terms of Nagy system and scheme and what failed him and what maybe didn't fail him, if, if anything, and we're going to kind of break it down, you know, those u- unique traits that we love to talk about with Fields, the athleticism, the arms, arm talent. We will get into all that with J.T. O'Sullivan, and, and, and we're going to talk about, you know, the next coach for the Chicago Bears and, and what J.T. would look for in terms of what would be best for Justin Fields in terms of his success. So we'll see what he has to say. We'll get to him here in a few minutes. But, uh, you know, first and foremost, let's let's talk about this month of January here. Uh, obviously, my last podcast wasn't too subdued. If you, if you check that out, was not very pleased with what George McCaskey had to say at that press conference. Uh, Matt Nagy and, and Ryan Pace have been fired, something uh, that if you listened to this podcast a year ago, I told you is what should have happened, even as someone who largely supported Nagy and Pace for a big chunk of their uh, tenure until these last couple years where things really started, I think, unraveling for both of them for a variety of reasons. And a big part of that is what George McCaskey asked them to do, trying to marry things that cannot be married in the same season. And that's just something that George didn't quite understand when he brought them both back last year. The Bears were in a position that this was not going to be a one-year fix. This was not going to be fix the quarterback and sign a couple free agents and make the playoffs. And that's what George McCaskey wanted for the 2021 season. And that was an impossibility. And I know a lot of Bears fans you know, sat there and wanted to see Justin Fields play and, and play well and have a Justin Herbert type rookie season and the Bears go 10 and 7 and make the playoffs. And that's what we all wanted to see. But what we really needed to see this year was the development of Justin Fields. And we needed to see the organization committing to building around Fields in the future. And that's not something they did. They 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 begged, borrowed and stealed to try and put as many quality players as they could on the field. They kicked money into the future. They have basically wasted one of Justin Fields' rookie, you know, rookie contract seasons, 
and that's disappointing. But, you know, no point to spend too much time in the past. We know George screwed up last year. He didn't really make any decisions that were the right ones for the franchise. He punted everything a year and all he has done. Now, do we have Justin Fields in tow now? Absolutely. And that is a huge positive for this organization. But all he has done is instead of us starting fresh with Justin Fields last year and some consistency around him, now we're going to be starting it in year two. And Fields is going to have to learn a new system. And, you know, it's going to be a, a busy offseason for Justin Fields. Now, I don't want to get into too many specifics about the GM and head coach search because, you know, things change on a day-to-day -day basis and, and podcasts don't change on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, I, I will say I really like the GM list that they've put together so far. I have my, my personal favorites on that list. I'll tell you, one of them is Morocco Brown. Uh, I know he's set to interview this week, and that, that is a guy that I am really hoping grabs this position uh, for the Chicago Bears. I think he has a, you know, he, he has a great grasp in terms of a, a scouting background, which I think is largely what the Bears, Bears want and like in that role. I, I think he can have who will have a tremendous ability to be able to put people around Justin Fields and build the best possible offensive unit around him. Uh, I like his background with the Colts, working with Ballard, working with Dodds. I, I just see a lot of positives in Brown, and that is definitely one of the guys that I would definitely be for uh, in terms of them hiring him at the general manager position. I like Rick Smith a lot, too. Rick Smith had a lot of success in Houston. Rick Smith is a very well-respected guy around the league. But here's what I'm going to say about Rick Smith. Rick Smith's a little older. He's in his 50s. Not that you can't be in your 50s and have plenty of success as an NFL general manager. But this guy has gone through a lot in his personal life. He has stepped away from the game for a couple of years. Looks like he's, he's trying to make some inroads to get back in. That general manager position, that's not a 40-hour-a-week job, you know. It might be a 40-hour-a-week job in, 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 in June, but that's not a 40-a-week job most weeks. And it especially isn't, you know, around the draft, leading up to the draft, free agency. There are a lot of hours. You know, those are 70, 80, 90-hour uh, weeks sometimes. Is Rick Smith still in the mindset where he wants to do that grind, you know, that he wants to put in the hours? I do question if, if Rick Smith is there now. Can Rick Smith come in and say, I'm going to bring in a great lieutenant, a great assistant GM. He's going to be putting in, in the hours and I'm going to trust him and we're going to collaborate. I know we want to laugh at that word now, but look, it's important to have a cohesive front office that's working together. Is that going to be a proposal that Rick Smith could give the Bears that the Bears are interested in? I'd be interested in that potentially as well, because I, I love having that type of guy at the top of the football operations. So, you know, those those are a couple guys I'm I'm interested in. Look, and, and there's plenty of other guys that the Bears are bringing in or have brought in, you know, that that have, you know, really good ties. Cook, you know, apparently had a really good interview. Looks like he's going to be one of the finalists. They've got Wolf this week. Good bloodlines. Ron Wolf, you know, Patriot ties. You know, there's there's absolutely some some potential there. So, you know, they, they've got the right list. I like the, the list they, they're putting together that Bill Polian's put together.
Now they got to execute and, and bring the bring the right guy aboard, but but we'll we'll see. Uh, in terms of the head coach, obviously if you're going to go on the offensive side of the football, Dayball's the guy that's going to get a long look. Um, you know, for me personally, I know a lot of people bring up Byron Leftwich, and from everything you understand, Byron Leftwich has done wonders in Tampa, and that it's not Arians and Brady, it's a lot of it's Leftwich. That's what you hear, but. I will say, and this is my own personal PTSD, Matt Nagy came from an offensive-minded head coach, Andy Reid. Andy Reid pumped this guy up. Great offensive mind, blah, 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 blah. We know Byron Leftwich has more play-calling experience than Matt Nagy had, but Matt Nagy did call plays and call them successfully towards the end of the season against Kansas City. You know, take that for what it's worth. But for me... When I'm not in the QB room, when I'm not in the offensive coaches' meetings, and I don't know how much Arians is doing, how much Brady is doing, how much Leftwich is doing, based on what I know about how Matt Nagy's success is, you know, Doug Peterson, I know he won a Super Bowl, but he's out of a job right now. You know, that Andy Reid coaching tree, we're, we're not seeing as much success as, as we once thought we were. So a little concerned about bringing in an OC from an offensive-minded head coach. You want to bring in someone like Brian Dayball, that's his offense, that's what he's running, that's that's different, that's obviously something I, I would absolutely consider. I do like Brian Flores, I think he's a hell of a coach, I know he's a defensive-minded head coach, and I know Bears fans want consistency on offense, but, you know, to me, uh, Flores is a guy, he's going to be a hard-nosed guy. Uh, you know, he's not he's going to ask a lot out of his team, but I think you get the right players in there. They can respond to Flores. Like I said, he's a, he's a heck of a coach. And here's the key. Brian Flores had a lot of problems offensively. You know, you hear rumors and reports that he didn't want Tua. He wanted Justin Herbert. And, you know, the, the front office went with Tua, and he got pissed about that. And him and Greer weren't on the same page. Chris Greer, the, the Dolphins GM, they weren't on the same page these last couple of seasons. And that played into everything. So, look, Dayball, I'm sorry, Flores is, a, is like I said, he's a tough guy. He, he's not, not going to be a simple personality that's all smiles. It's going to be easy to work with. You know, how much power does he want within the organization or is he willing to be in a traditional GM, my boss kind of format? And what is he going to do offensively? How, what offensive coordinator is he going to bring with him to build the right offense around Justin Fields? Because that's not going to be him. That's going to be the offensive coordinator. And can we bring consistency with that offensive coordinator, that same person for you know those first next few years of Justin Fields so he's not learning a new system every year? That's going to be the big question mark with Flores. Those are two guys that I really like right now. Uh, depending on how certain answers are, are given in, in those interviews. Um, you know, beyond that, we're going to have to see, you know, what plays out here over the next week. You know, you don't want the Bears process to be too slow. You don't want them to rush through it. Um, but here's the thing. There are plenty of general manager, quality general manager candidates and only a few general manager spots. There are not as many quality head coaching candidates and eight head coaching spots. So that's where it gets a little tricky. You don't want them to rush through the GM process because you need the right guy in place who's going to be able to lead this team properly. But at the same time, you don't want to take this process so long that some of the top quality 
head coaching candidates come off the board. So that's that's a, a tough balance the Bears have to do. I, I think the Bears are going to be wrapped up with their first round of GM interviews this week, end of this week, this weekend. I think we'll get the finalists, you know, three, four finalists back in. Probably, you know, they were Zooms, I know, before. They'll probably meet with them in person early, middle of next week. And I think, you know, Wednesday, Thursday of next week, we should have a general manager in place. And hopefully shortly thereafter, the week after or so, the head coach can be in place as well. Now, I know if the Buffalo Bills keep winning, if the Bears want someone like Dayball, they're not going to be able to officially hire him. But there can be head, you know, nods and winks and, and unofficial agreements that work for just about everybody but Josh McDaniels, who, as you notice, doesn't seem to be getting any interviews, and that would be because he royally screwed over the Indianapolis Colts. So, uh, you know, we're going to learn a lot here about in the next couple weeks about the Chicago Bears, and once we have answers to who will be the GM and who will be the head coach, we will do another podcast and discuss what's next for the Chicago Bears. But before we discuss what's next, let's discuss the future, and that is Justin Fields. J.T. O'Sullivan from the QB School on YouTube. He joins us next. This is Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back into the podcast. I am very excited for this next guest. This is something I've wanted to do uh, for months, really, since uh, he did a, a focal point on Justin Fields on his YouTube show, which is the QB School. Uh, it's a great Great follow. You should absolutely subscribe on YouTube. Uh, variety of lengths of videos, full detailed analysis that can go an hour, sometimes 10, 15 minutes reacting to games. You get a lot of great content in, uh, on there. JT O'Sullivan, who's at JT underscore O'Sullivan on Twitter. He joins us now. JT, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? Bill, pleasure. Appreciate the uh, the nice intro in there. I'm not sure I would totally agree with a lot with some of that, but <laughs> I appreciate the kind words for sure. No, look, I you know I started you know pay attention into your YouTube content this year. Learned a lot as 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 a longtime football fan and someone who works in sports media. So you know, and and, and I wanted to you know see if we could get together and just take an opportunity to talk about Justin Fields and his rookie season, which I think. You know, look, I mean, everyone wants their their rookie QB to, to be Justin Herbert, right? And just like step in 30-some touchdowns. And obviously that wasn't the case with Fields, but this was a really unique and I think difficult year to really take a look at Justin Fields and, and see what he can do. You know, box score scouts are going to look at his numbers and go, this guy's, you know, doomed to be a bust. But if you, if you watch it, you see a lot of special traits. So why don't I just kind of start with kind of a general overview you know, what you watched on tape of Justin Fields this year, how are you seeing him as, as a prospect, you know, getting ready for year two here in, in, in eight months? Yeah, I think he did a, a, a nice job kind of summarizing probably what that was like as a holistic experience. I think just the pure tape wise and kind of projecting what Justin Fields has the potential to be moving forward. Uh, I'm still as high as I probably ever was on him. If, if not probably a little bit higher, just from certain flashes of things. 
Now, that being said, that doesn't mean that it's a, you know, lock and key for those types of things to translate consistently on Sundays. It, it comes with everything around it being correct too. And I think it'll be probably years before we really understand what the hell was happening this entire year with, as far as, you know, why he wasn't playing from the jump, you know, what was going on behind the scenes, who wanted who to play and what that looked like, because it certainly impacted the entire situation from, you know, when you give up what they gave up to, to get him for him, not to be the guy immediately makes it feel like there were some unsettled issues on a number of different spots. And obviously it played itself out to be kind of a mini disaster and they're going to be looking different moving forward. But as far as just purely Justin Fields, I think, you know, he reaffirmed everything that I thought the, his college film showed, and it's a massive ceiling. It's his ability to extend plays with his legs, his ability to create with his legs, his ability to be dynamic with his arm, throwing it down the field. Now there are certainly some things that you would love to see happen quicker, but I think that can be a combination of, you know, scheme, what they're asking him to do and all those things coming together in the right way. And I think, you know, coming off, watching Josh Allen play in the playoffs. It's a perfect kind of model for, I think what everyone would love to see Justin Fields evolve into quickly, as far as the improvement, as far as his ability to, to make those types of plays week in and week out. Yeah, you know, yeah, let's start there since it's at, at the beginning of the year and you brought up the, the, the puzzling way Justin Fields was prepped for this season and into the, the early part of the season. And we've seen since Nagy and Pace have been fired, we saw an article come out on The Athletic, basically about that confusing thing that Matt Nagy was very adamant that this was Andy Dalton and he felt he could win with Andy Dalton, even though, you know, yeah, obviously Fields was there. We saw Fields getting no first team reps in, in, in training camp. So he didn't have any of that chemistry when he got thrown into it with the Dalton injury. And it kind of comes to a head at that Cleveland Browns game, which was one of the most epic offensive failures I have ever seen was Justin Fields unprepared, you know, absolutely. And the confusing point about offensive, about blocking schemes and not even chipping Miles Garrett. And I mean, Miles Garrett going one-on-one against tight ends and um, just the, and the lack of preparation, you know, not rolling fields out. And this, these were things we saw, we questioned throughout the year, not rolling fields out, not utilizing play action enough. That game against the Browns and the start of Justin Fields' career, is that one of the most puzzling and bizarre game plans and situations that you've ever seen in the NFL? I mean, I don't know. I'd have to <laughs> have to go back and unpack a lot of dark days. Probably, uh, it's it's up there, you know, just as far as recency bias. I, I think, but it, it does uncover many things that that maybe we've already touched on a little bit, and that's just the idea, especially with how well young quarterbacks have come into the league and played recently. I just am am and will continue to be confused about why he wasn't the guy from the jump. And I can understand why you would want to go out and get a guy like Andy Dalton before the draft. But once that happens, you have to be able to adapt the franchise. And, and I mean, a perfect example, it, not a perfect example, an example is what the Patriots did with Mac Jones. You know, Mac Jones goes in there, competes with Cam Newton. He beats him out. They ask Cam Newton if he'd like to stay or leave. He wants to leave. Okay, we're going, we're going this direction. And as opposed to kind of this in between back and forth, nobody gets what they want. Everybody gets fired. I mean, it's a, you know, a dumpster fire when it comes to those types of decision-making and that has nothing to do. We haven't even talked about the X's and O's, the scheme, you know, we're talking about just 
opportunities and managing exactly what the development looks like. And if you can't develop the most important position, you know, you're, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. And, and, and look, there's, there's certain things that Justin Fields did that I think improved, improved throughout the year. Um, I think, you know, and I, and I want to ask your, your thoughts on this, the, the decision-making process, the clock absolutely seemed to, to speed up the confidence in what he was going to do with the football definitely seemed to speed up sack percentage. I mean, definitely dropped out there. Look, it is still way too high. And, and even in his last game of the year against Minnesota, we saw a couple troubling sacks that I think sometimes Justin needs to have a, a better comprehension as to scrambling in the pocket in the NFL versus college and what you can and can't do. But in, in terms of, of growth, let's, let's start with the processor um, because I think a lot of bears fans assumed Justin Fields was really NFL ready in certain areas. And then like, like processing and, and deciding what to do with the football. Then you see really the difference between a Ryan day offense and what he's asked to do at the NFL level. How did you see his processor in terms of just the mental preparation play to play, uh, you know, move forward throughout the season? Well, I mean, uh, to, to, to really answer that with any sort of like good depth, you have to be in the room. You know, I, I can just take a surface level analysis of what I think that they're asking him to do at Ohio state, which is great college football, great college offense is not going to come with the same amount of depth and volume that you're going to be asked to do in the NFL. And so that though, is not just a singular variable excuse. That's just the reality for everybody. I think that just as much of the processing comes from, Hey, let's craft this system around what we think is the franchise moving forward to have that person have a launch ramp to success. And so that can be a lot of different things. That can be the quarterback run game. That can be quick game. That can be uh, con concepts that he's comfortable with and has a pass with. It's not just, Hey, welcome to the team. Here's our offense. It's, Hey, what can we do together to make this thing great? And I don't think we saw any of that at the start of the season at zero. And so that part of it was the troubling part of it. The, the idea to come in, you're going to come in as a backup, not get a lot of reps. No one's going to have great processing or great ability to make clean, decisive decisions all the time in that role. No one, even the best of the best backups are not going to be able to do that. And so to think that a rookie was going to come in to do that is just unrealistic. I, I think the, the more troubling stuff for me was just the idea that how can you have that guy in the building and not have that as the original game plan? And I know I keep going back to that same thing, but that stunted the entire year in my opinion. And so basically hitting a reset from that with the, with the ability to say, Hey, we're still, we still have the same toolkit that we are excited about. We really do. I think it, and I do think it's one of the, one of, if not the best job available right now. And so that idea being that, yeah, you still have to go in there and get better quickly. And you, you alluded to the fact that he got better when he was playing. But it felt like they were like inventing stuff on the go. Like, wait, hold up. We should change the launch point. Yeah. We should run this guy a little bit. Yeah. We should do different. Th he can make far throws farther down the field. Yeah, bro. Like it has to be more. It has to be different. It's not, Hey, this is our offense. We'll call some plays. Hopefully they work. It's what can this guy do? This skill set. We drafted this skill set for a special reason. Let's craft some offense to take advantage of it. All right. Let, let, let me ask you a couple of the things that I saw Justin struggle on. And, and you tell me about, is this, is this pause for concern? Is this something that you think can, can readily be improved upon? First thing I'll, I'll bring up is him holding onto the ball, you know, for, for, forget the fumbling and, and that aside, just, you know, come in the pocket, 
making a decision and, and not holding on to the ball too long. I think that's something he, he definitely still does. Um, but, you know, I can also sit there and say Russell Wilson held on to the football too long for, for a decade and, and is, is heading to, to Canton. So where are you in terms of a player like him who, who is going to look to push the ball down the field, is going to look for opportunities with his legs, so that's going to tend to have him hold the football longer, but at times he holds it too long. Where, is, that, is that something that Bears fans should be worried about, something that, that uh, a bad habit that he has? I think it's a thing to be conscious of. Absolutely. I, and I think it, he's probably conscious of it as well. I think that those things can be fixed from little, not fixed, can be mended from multiple ways that all come together to make it a little bit uh, more seamless. And what I mean by that is, uh, yeah, sometimes you certainly don't want to hold the ball. You got to learn to throw with a little bit more anticipation. There are time and place to be able to hang on to a ball to potentially get into a deeper window down the field. All those types of things. When you have that skill set, you you do lean on it. It's because it's the reason that you got to the league. You know, it's it's your it's what you bring to the table. The other part about that, and this is where it comes back to a little bit of offensive architecture, design, intent. Hey how about we scheme open the number one receiver to be open more, you know, so we're not going through, you know, three hitches, you know, those that's, types that's, of things. that's like, a complicated theory that you're throwing out there. Well, I mean, it, it is, it is, and it isn't, you know, I, I <laughs> tongue in cheek, but like look across the league, you know, there are a lot of quarterbacks that are in systems where it doesn't have to be all the time. If you're taking a play action shot down the field, yeah, you're going to have to hold on to it. But we can throw some more perimeter screens. We can throw some quick game. We can throw some timing anticipation throws outside the numbers more consistently. Those types of things can be baked into the process to help alleviate those unnecessary sacks, those times where you're getting frustrated with, man, was that a coverage sack, putting your offensive line in a tough situation? And you can also help yourself by moving the launch point. But to think that it's going to be fixed without – Justin being any part of the process. No, he, he's going to need to get better at it in certain situations, but at the same time, like I, I would never want him, or I don't think any of his coaches would ever want him to be like, Hey, you need to abandon this part of your game. Well, no, hell no. That's why you're there. You're there to make big plays down the field. Let's just be a little bit more strategic and know what it looks like. And maybe know what those windows are available on Sunday. Cause it might be a little different than what it was like, you know, playing against Purdue. No offense, but like, it's just a different timing of the, of the pocket, the poise, all those types of things that go along with playing on Sunday. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, 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 you know, you, you talk about that. How about you, you scheme to get your number one receiver open. And, you know, I don't have the specifics in front of me. I looked for this tweet and couldn't find it, but I did see an advanced analytic tweet that basically showed that the percentage of receivers that were open Justin Fields had the lowest or one of the lowest in the league in terms of, you know, having the opportunity to throw to an open receiver. So you're putting a a young quarterback in there, constantly having to throw into a tight, tight window, uh, you know, potentially put open himself up for turnover worthy throws. And, you know, I think a lot of that falls, falls back on the scheme. Um, Now this is the kind of leads me into the next point. Um, I think, you know, and I, the numbers back that up, if you want to use the, the big time throw percentage, that, that fields, you know, he can push the ball down the field and can do with, with, with elite accuracy uh, on, a, on a regular basis. But the short, the short game uh, throws at around the line of scrimmage, he was really poor in, in, in that category. And again, that, that may, you know, I, I want to ask you about that. Is that something that's a, that was, a, you think, more of a fields issue, more of a scheme issue? I mean, we saw someone like Josh Rosen, and that, that, that basically derailed his, his career. 
So where are you with, with fields and the lack of success he had short throwing the football? Well, I mean, I'll be honest if I, if I told you I'd done a, a deep dive about it, but I, I can tell you that I would imagine, and it's going to be stunted a little bit just from the staff turnover, but I would imagine that his, uh, process for how he throws it. You know, if there is anything that you're going to critique, I mean, there's a number of things you can critique about anybody, but his stroke is not necessarily what I would consider the most compact. And what I mean by that, not that you ever want it to be the most compact ever, but this idea that it's a little bit harder to replicate that longer stroke uh, on a consistent basis. And that can impact some of your miss radius. And so when you're trying to do those short, you know, whether they be perimeter screens or short, quick game throws, it just, feels like your timing, your sequencing of getting the ball out of your hands is a little bit longer because your stroke is a little bit longer. So I would look for that to be something that is kind of an, an eye test about where he comes back, say, you know, at the start of camp, as far as does the stroke look a little bit tighter? Does it look a little bit cleaner? I would, I would imagine just from being a pro for a year, it would happen even if it wasn't an, an intentional part of his game that he's trying to improve. I'm going to guess that it probably is regardless also. So I think it's a combination of the stroke will get a little bit tighter, more precise. I think his footwork will get a little bit more consistent. And so all of those things will translate into a better performance in that. But then I will also go back to those throws have to be baked into the DNA of a quarterback. And so when you look at a guy, you know, Aaron Rodgers is like the extreme here as far as accuracy, good decisions, not turning the ball over. But he also throws a lot of, you know, perimeter, quick, now, RPO, free access, however you want to say it. To, to take advantage of those things. Now he's obviously got one of the quickest releases to ever do it, but th there's a, a probably a place in the middle where Justin Fields can kind of trampoline to really quickly. All right. And I want to, I want to bring up uh, Mac Jones. You brought him up earlier um, and obviously had, had a darn, darn successful rookie season, the, the, the best one of, the, of, of this group. Um, and, you know, kind of projecting someone like Jones and projecting someone like, like Fields. You know, and look, you, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of this, this interview, Justin Fields has that, you know, raw, natural, you know, just elite traits, right. That you just sit there and, you know, at, at times you drool over, but you know, how difficult is it to project ceilings, even when you get some NFL tape, because like I said, you, you get the raw traits of someone like Fields, but you don't see the, the, the success on paper, so to speak. And you get someone like Mac Jones, who, puts himself in a, in, in a perfect system and, and Belichick and McDaniels commit to him. And, and we see him being utilized in, in a, you know, a smart, capable way that Mac Jones is able, is able to execute where you sit there and say, is Mac Jones still just unlocking his potential or is he a more NFL ready quarterback who, you know, is the ceiling, you know, the floor might be a lot higher right now, but the ceiling's not that much higher. Like, how do you sit there as, as someone who looks at quarterbacks and try to project ceilings for different quarterbacks like Fields and Jones? Because as, as, as Bears fans and Bears analysts, all season we kept hearing, you know, well, Mac Jones is doing this and Mac Jones is doing that. And, you know, the, the learning curves are different for all these quarterbacks. And it's, it's just difficult to jump in and, and look at these guys, you know, because they're all at different points at that to where they project. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I guess it, it doesn't, it's a combination of things. It's each one of these situations is different. Obviously every organization is going to approach this differently, but for me, the ceilings, as far as the ceiling compared to those two players, I mean, Justin Fields' ceiling is still significantly higher. Now that doesn't mean that Mac Jones can't go on and be a 
pro football hall of famer. You know, he's already played one year. He's already been to the playoffs, you know, things that are very difficult for any quarterback. But when you look at the ability to throw the ball and drive it down the field, I don't think that there's any comparison to the skill set that Justin Fields has shown to what Mac Jones can do. It's just a pure passer right now. You add on the element of the athleticism, the ability to run with the ball. And, you know, those are skill sets for me that are much harder to develop than, hey, you know, what's his processing look like? Can he get the ball out of his hands quicker? Those are those are fixable things in a system where you can, you know, quickly improve your decision making. Just because you decide to throw a ball, a ball 60 yards down the field on a laser, you know, it doesn't matter that Mac Jones decides to do it. He's not going to do it. You know, and many guys in the league aren't going to do it where Justin Fields has the capacity to make some of those like Josh Allen type throws that are just kind of out throw the coverage, you know, worldly throws. And to me, that's where you decide, Hey, the ceiling is much higher on a player like that. Now that doesn't mean that he's going to come anywhere near the ceiling. He might not, we might, you know, Chicago might miss on this higher and you know, it's stunted and Justin Fields never makes the playoffs ever in his career. Like that's certainly a possibility, but to think that the ceilings have changed for me, they haven't, it's just so much of it is based on luck. What organization are you at? The context, what's the staff look like? What's the roster look like that you come into? All those types of things go into impacting a quarterback's performance. But the pure ability of these two guys, for me, you know, and again, both of them are NFL first-round draft picks. They're both very good players. But the skill set, what Justin Fields brings to the table, to me, is still as exciting as it ever was. Well, and and, and you just brought up, you know, they they could screw up this higher. And, and obviously – when you've got a quarterback with Fields talent and, and, you know, the critical hire of being able to harness that and take him to the next level and make him an elite quarterback is, 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 is beyond important here for, for the bears franchise. So, you know, for, for years, we saw Matt Nagy trying to fit anyone he could into his offense. Like he had an offense. This is the, what he wanted to run. And it didn't matter if you had Nick Foles or Justin Fields, it seemed that you were going to try and, you know, squeeze their skill sets into the, the, the same quarterback, which obviously was, was very flawed. You know, you, you hear someone like Brian Dayball, who you sit there and hear that he schemes very well into his best players, their best traits, their best talents, and tries to scheme an offense to take it, take advantage of that. So if Dayball or someone like that would would come to Chicago to try and scheme up Justin Fields and put him in in the best position for success. If they, you know if they consulted JT O'Sullivan and said JT, well, what do you think would be the the best ways for us to to utilize Fields' skill sets moving forward in a scheme? What would your approach be for him in year two? Well, I think your analogy to what's gone on around Josh Allen is is a really good one. Cause I, I think that they are two kind of unicorn ish type players, just as far as their ability to also run the ball. I think that's the thing with Josh Allen, where you're like, he's dynamic throwing the ball. He's shown ridiculous improvement the last two years. And he's a freak athlete. Like people forget. I mean, he did the guy dirty this past weekend and shook him on the ground. It was embarrassing. And you know, it, and people barely talked about it, you know, and it's one of those things where, you know, I think those are the unique things where there are certainly guys in the league now at the quarterback position that can run it, you know, probably as much more than ever, but the ability to throw it like Josh Allen does and the ability to throw it down the field and drive the ball like Justin Fields has shown to me, I think are special combinations. And so you touched on it perfectly. I don't think we know what that offense could look like. I wouldn't want to put an artificial ceiling or book bookend on what, you know, a Josh, a Justin Fields 
quote unquote offense looks like to me, it probably looks something like what the bills are doing just because they have kind of found a way to blend that design quarterback run game with some shots down the field in the play action world with the creativity of changing the launch point to be able to also take advantage of Josh Allen's improvement with his accuracy, throwing the ball from the drop back game. So it feels like they've got all these different components that everybody would love to have, but not everybody has a unicorn at quarterback. And so being able to mesh those things together, you know, three years ago, I don't think anybody, you know, looks at the Buffalo bills and says, yeah, they're going to be able to do X, Y, and Z at the highest level ever and have the greatest playoff game ever offensively. And sure enough, you know, that's what happened. Now it's easy to say, Hey, go out there and, you know, replicate this model. It's another thing to have the roster around it, you know, to go out there and have guys on the perimeter on the edge that have the capacity to separate because you certainly need that. And you certainly saw what kind of the infusion of a guy like Diggs did in Buffalo, but you certainly have to upgrade certain weapons and take advantage of a team that's basically on a quarterback on their rookie deal and invest in the right spots and pieces to make that guy have success. And it's certainly not done by himself. But to me, I think if you're an offensive coordinator, you're an offensive architect, you're going in there to play design, you got to be fired up to have go in there and work with a, a tool set like Justin Fields. And it, it doesn't mean that it's going to be polished. It really doesn't. It's not going to be polished. It's the first year in the NFL. He's going to get significantly better. And when he accelerates on the level of improvement that I think he and probably that organization aspires to, it's going to be scary if they can match him with some surrounding talent to take advantage of that. That's not just talent like at wide receiver with the guys who touch the ball, guys up front. I'm talking about play callers, design of the architect, architect of the offense to go out there and do it week in and week out in an NFL schedule. Now, let, let, let me ask you this, and this is kind of more of a, a theoretical question here, because obviously right now there's a lot of focus on who is going to be this guy for Justin Fields, who's going to be the next head coach, offensive coordinator, all that. You know, so we, we look at, you know, the, the potential coaching candidates and, and Dave all is one that, you know, you, you hear connected to Chicago a lot. He already interviewed, but, you know, you also have guys out there like a, a Brian Flores or a Todd Bowles, defensive minded coaches that, you know, are, are you know, you know, hope, well, hopefully for Flores sake, he wouldn't be meddling in the offense, but, you know, Flores and Bowles and they'd be bringing in an offensive coordinator to, to, to more run the offense as you know, in terms of hiring, in terms of putting someone in, in place, to work with Justin Fields, obviously the idea of the offensively minded head coach makes sense because you'll have, have consistency there. But, you know, do you think that's something that is a, a requirement? Uh, because, you know, you bring in a defensive guy and you bring in the right offensive coordinator who does wonders with Justin Fields. Well, then he's on his way to becoming a head coach in, in, in a year or two. So, and you may not have that consistency on offense. So when you have a talent like Fields, how important do you think it is to have an offensive-minded head coach, or do you think it, you can still have plenty of success with a defensive-minded head coach and you know a, the right offensive coordinator? Yeah, I, I definitely don't think it's a prerequisite that it's an offensive, you know, background head coach. I think if you don't do an offensive background head coach, meaning like a defensive coach or a special teams guy, then the offense coordinator position becomes a little bit more of an important hire, you know, certainly, but it's going to be an important hire regardless. And really that hire is not just the hire of the offense coordinator. Cause you already alluded to it. Once you have success, that staff is going to be rated. And so it's that pipeline of who touches that quarterback development for me is as important of it as anything. So it's all the way down to, you know, quality control quarterback. So quarterback coach, 
quality control, you know, who's the passing game coordinator, offensive coordinator, head coach, that pipeline, they need to be really aligned developmentally as far as what are our goals? What is this kind of track record? What does this roadmap look like to get Justin Fields where he needs to be for us to be successful as quickly as possible? And there are very easy ways that you can get be derailed on that process, whether it's by guys getting fired, not being good enough at their job, et cetera plucked from other staffs. So you do, there is again, this element of luck, but for me, as much as anything, it's to make sure that you get the right head coaching hire. If you don't get the right head coaching hire, I don't care if he's offense, defense, special teams. If that is not going to work, it doesn't matter if the development for Justin Fields isn't on par, you got to get the head coaching hire, right. And then you work with the development as far as what it looks like offensively, just like any position. It's just more important because they're the face, the face of the franchise and they touch the ball every play. And so the development of that position has always been critical and you got to get it right. And if you look across the landscape of the league and if you don't get it right, you're out of a job in three to four years, if that. All right. Last one for you here. And, and it's kind of circling back to, to Justin and his skill sets, you know, you, you kept, you know, referencing, you know, high ceiling because of the traits, because of the athleticism with the legs, because of the elite arm talent on the, on the deep ball and, and, and things that he can do that even at, at, at 23, that, you know, other quarterbacks, successful quarterbacks in the league can't do as well as him already. But obviously, you know, we, we, we saw issues th- throughout the year, uh, some scheme related for sure. Some uh, tied to inexperience as rookie quarterbacks, all rookie quarterbacks are going to have. So, you know, like I said, I think we saw, you know, watching game to game, it felt like he was being more decisive with the football. It, it felt like things were slowing down for him. It felt like, you know, the sack percentage was still high at the end of the year, but it was at least in single digits and it had been in double digits earlier in the year. So we see things progressing in the right direction, but there's obviously things that he needs to work on for you after watching him, where is it that he, this off season should be focusing on the most in terms of, you know, specific things he can improve on to put him in the best position to succeed in year two, you know, those, those issues he might be having that are the biggest ones that could be to his detriment, to his development. Well, I mean, it's almost impossible to answer without the staff there. And so, you know, if I, if I was in his place, uh, I would be telling him that as soon as there is a hire that you need to be basically living at the building and you need to become a master, a, a pseudo assistant coach as quickly as possible, as far as being able to understand what the expectations are, the intentions of that scheme are. And then once you understand that, you can really kind of hyper-focus, pick a few things that you really want to work on. Again, the things that I think are just the, the eyeball fixes for him are going to be cleaning up the stroke, making it a little bit tighter in some regards, more consistent, and then tethering in whatever the new footwork is to the precision of whatever the pass game is that they implement. You know, if it's, if they come in and they decide to go, you know, air raid, well, it's a totally different kind of teaching methodology than if they get someone who's only got West coast roots, or if they hire Josh McDaniels, you know, it's a, those are different ways that they approach the passing game and to be able to go in there and just finally immerse yourself in the process where you get all the reps in camp. You get all the reps in the off season. You are a pros pro as far as moving that direction. I don't think, you know, right now there's not going to be one thing where I'm like, man, if he really works on his, 
you know, screen footwork and touch that that's going to make a huge adjustment. Like it's impossible to say, yeah, you need your processing needs to accelerate. Well, what the hell offense is it? You know, are, are you going to be able to translate anything that you learned the first year into the second year? And there certainly will be transferable skills and schemes regardless of who they hire, but immediately it's, Hey, you need to, you need to become an absolute master of whatever they're asking you to do in this new scheme. Cause you can't use an excuse of, Hey, I have a different coordinator every other year as a pro, because those years will vanish really quickly. And all of a sudden you'll be looking around and looking for somewhere else for your second contract. And so it's just one of those things where he needs to immerse himself in that culture and what they're asking him to do. Hopefully they hit on the hire and he's able to fine tune and polish whatever his coaches identify because they're the ones that watching him all the time. You know, I'm, we're watching, you know, Sunday, all 22 blurry stuff, as far as trying to get, figure out where they're trying to work their polish and work their, uh, improvement and trust your coaches and hopefully they're they're on the same path that you're on all right well there he is everyone it's the qb school on youtube uh if you haven't subscribed yet go and do it right now you won't be sorry like i said there'll be plenty of great content throughout the playoffs because there, there's already stuff out there now uh, at jt o'sullivan at jt underscore o'sullivan on on twitter uh give him a follow there as well like i said if you want to learn jt is a great place to to go uh jt thanks so much for so much time really appreciate it and uh Thanks for your insights on Justin Fields. Yeah, my pleasure, Bill. Be pulling for him. All right, there he is, J.T. O'Sullivan, former NFL quarterback. And like I said, he he puts really good content on YouTube. You know, I, I kind of feel like J.T. is kind of at the early stages of where Dan Orlovsky was a few years ago. You know, Dan Orlovsky was kind of doing this kind of stuff, you know, got noticed and, and you know, was on, you know, whether you like Orlovsky or not as an analyst, you know, he built himself up and, you know, is, is doing regular work on ESPN now. Now, you know, JT, same, same kind of thing. He's putting out a lot of good content and he, he does it in such a way where he's not, he's giving you the X's and O's, he's giving you the, the jargon, but he's also describing it as you go. So if you're not a, you know, a tape grinder if you're not sitting there if you don't you know if sometimes you're missing things that you know an analyst you know tony romo throws some some lingo out there and you didn't quite follow it if you're if you're a football fan but you don't have the x's and o's down and the specific execution and what teams and offenses are trying to accomplish on each specific play roles of the offensive line where receivers may have screwed up in their routes uh, how the, the the play comes together where it's flawed where it's successful he does a really good job explaining that and not explaining it in such a way where if you haven't been a 10-year coach, you don't know what he's talking about. So it's a really good educational you know, video videos that he puts out on YouTube regular. So like I said, subscribe, give him a follow if you haven't, because, uh, you know, and he does uh, he does a lot of quarterback work. So even if he's not putting out stuff on Justin Fields, he's going to give you something to compare to and kind of see how other young quarterbacks are performing in the league. So, uh, you know, really wanted to do that for a while. I was glad I was able to get that hooked up, kind of give you some insight as, as to Justin Fields. And look, the bottom line there, you, you, you get through everything that, that JT said about coaches and schemes. And, you know, he doesn't want to commit to something specific because he thinks Fields has the abilities to, you know, to succeed in multiple different kinds of systems. But it's about, you know, honing that system around his skills and taking advantage as to what he can do. But, you know, he, he, he referenced it multiple times. It comes back to those traits. There, there are just not a lot of quarterbacks in the league that combine the traits that he has. The arm talent, the deep arm talent, the, 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 the athleticism, what he can do. 
is so unique to the rest of the league that it is in critical importance that this next coach knows how to harness that, knows how to take advantage of those skills, knows how to you know, teach him the system so he can be comfortable within the system because it was so clear early in the year that Justin Fields was not comfortable. Whether that's inexperience, whether that's Nagy's fault for not getting him up to speed, whether that's you know not being not getting first team reps and doing scout all look, there are a lot of missteps that took place with Justin Fields this year, and we know that. But his comfort level improved, even in a flawed system. His comfort level clearly improved throughout the year. That's what we need. We need someone to come in here. We need Justin Fields to feel comfortable quickly. And we need a coach who can harness those skills and bring him to the next level. Because he's got the traits. He's got the elite traits. Those, those traits are not something we've seen in a quarterback for the Chicago Bears. Not Cutler, not Trubisky, not Jim McMahon. It, it, it doesn't matter. We have not seen these traits together in a quarterback. The Bears have the potential to have something special. JT mentioned it. He thinks it's the best job in the league because Justin Fields is there. So let's hope that George McCaskey, Bill Polian, and company can use the asset that is Justin Fields and bring in a special talent as the head coach and get the Bears to the next level. That's going to do it for Bears Banter. We will talk to you again soon. We're going to do another podcast. Once there's a GM and head coach in place, we will do a podcast and talk about what's next for the Chicago Bears. Bear down, everybody. Talk to you later. Adios. to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.